But I love, I love the outpouring. I never want to get used to being, you know, it's, I always try and think this, and I don't know, I think maybe last year, 200 or so, 225 meetings I was in. And I never want to underestimate the value of a moment in God. And uh, so I've always loved just connecting with God. I've always loved even being with the people of God. I love the wildness of God. I love when it gets really crazy and, and you look at people's eyes and they're just like, I've never seen anything like that. And they're freaked out by it. And I, I just love it all. But there's always like that God always has a goal in everything that he does. And his goal is, uh, we read it last night, Joel 2, that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh because part of his goal is that which we're experiencing in him to be expressed in a real and tangible way that not only transforms us, but transforms the environment around us and then transforms the world around us. God has a real idea for the earth. And one of the things that he is making in a group of people is he's, uh, there's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of declaring as we hear the Father saying, but most importantly, the Lord is after a prophetic people that we are the epistle that is the message to the rest of the world. And so, as I, over the years, have experienced this thing in God and, and said, I want to live the rest of my life for it, um, maybe I'll open it up. I don't have time to fully develop that because I don't feel like that's what the Father's emphasizing. But the Lord is really after the changing of cities, of regions, and nations. And one of the keys to, I, I certainly don't suggest to know, but I, over the years, just really leaning into God, really just, I, I'm trying to understand this thing. How does this corporate move of God, what we're experiencing in this room, the glory, the, the, the different visions, how is that expressed or what's the purpose of expressing that and encountering that and expressing it in everyday life? What does that look like? I'm all for the wacky manifestations. I, you know, I like it all, you know. I like it, I like loud tongues. I do, I do. You know, my evangelical friends, they, they're okay with the healing. Prophecy, who, who doesn't like a nice word? You know, you can't deny when you're getting a real word. But the tongues, when it gets real loud, you know, that's when they, <laughs> he just like, especially in America, we think that, uh, and, and there's, I love the country, so don't get me wrong. But like, because we have many options in this country, and it's actually a good thing, it's like, God, your job is not God's judgment on your life. And the reason I said that was because so many people are like, I don't like my job. Well, in America, 
you have the opportunity to switch your job. <laughs> you might have to do some things you don't like doing, but you can switch careers. But as Americans, we think that we can, like, well, we don't like that, so we won't add that to what God's doing in our life. Like, we don't have certain options in God. He wants us, he wants us to give us the whole thing. And without, and, and no one group certainly is not the expression of everything that God is doing. But without an aspect that he has laid out in his word, we will be deficient to achieve the purposes of God in our life. Especially true is uh, this thought process where, uh, again, not certainly heralding myself or the stream I'm in as the only beacon of truth, but people like, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you think. Truth exists independent of what you think of it. It's like, I don't like that prophecy thing. That's fine. You don't have to. It's true anyway. Well, I don't believe that's right. Well, fine. It's going to happen anyway. You know, I don't believe prosperity. Fine. It's true. Ignorance doesn't help people. I don't know why I said that. But the Lord is after a prophetic people. And one of the keys to begin to, first of all, in your life, my life, I've learned this. I, um, when you begin something and when God births something in your heart and all you have is a word from the Lord and no funds to make it happen, uh, you better believe in the power of declaration. <laughs> and almost every project or every assignment that the Lord's called me to do, is it just begins with this word. And so personally, we know this is true. Secondly, for a region, one of the ways we begin to declare is to capture what God is saying over a place and begin to declare that. Not only begin to declare that, but another reason... Uh, uh, that the Lord is raising up apostles and prophets to function together. They cannot function outside of each other. And uh, yes, there should the, the buck always has to stop at one place, you know, like, uh, but it's this, the fivefold ministries, these unique different personalities who are expressions of Jesus, who as they come together, reveal the mind of the Lord. You know, it's great because I, even some things where I'm like, okay, I feel like this is what God is saying. And then I begin to, hey, you, you, you sift it through different personalities and different anointings, and you find the word of the Lord through a council of people. I like to observe things, and sometimes you see people, they're so gifted, they're anointed, they're called, and, and you're like, what, you know? Sometimes there's a timing, and, and they, they are in that season where God's just working in here, but sometimes maybe 10, 15 years down the line, and it doesn't seem like they're any further along in the purposes of God. And one of the things, I, one of the characteristics that I find is it usually, and it's not even ministry, it's any area of life, like that person's got an anointing to start a business, and they, they haven't started a business. And I find it's because they never will receive outside insight or wisdom. Just one of the characteristics that I've learned. So the Lord is after a people 
who, as his, as his, uh, as his sons and daughters, would partner with him. He, he, he established this in the beginning of Scripture where he speaks, he speaks, he speaks, Genesis 1. And then he brings the animals to Adam. I love that picture because, you know, uh, I, I, I just believe this. We're not little gods. I think it's weird. You know, like nobody's ever worshipped me. Please don't ever. You know, like we're sons of God, but we're not little gods. I don't know why people get into that stuff. I'm like, when you can create a universe, then we can talk. <laughs> but it's a beautiful picture of, you know, God is always the source of everything, you know? But he brings the animals as the source. God speaks, and then he gives them privilege of man being able to speak. And so his desire was through hearing through intimacy, through union, that he would have a people who would capture what he said. And for whatever reason, when, when we capture what God is saying, it begins to create realities that don't exist. I love that. And here's some, here's some foundational scripture to what I'm talking about. Well, you had, there's, one of the, number one characteristics when Jesus began his public ministry, I always find this fascinating. Perfect son of man, fully God, fully man. He was our example. He was, he was the example who had laid down his divinity and, he, and he, uh, he chose to put himself within the limits of humanity. I would, when I even make that statement, do you realize how humble Jesus is? Like, he put himself within the limits of what he created. God. And what was the goal? The goal was so that you could be like him. I'm like, just destroy the planet, we'll start over. I'm not dying for you. I'm American, you know. But thousands of years of prophecy, you know, minor, major, they were in the charismatic movement, the Old Testament prophets. You know, get that later. <laughs> they weren't, wait, God never wastes time, and they're declaring, there's a Messiah coming. Thank you, Abner. <laughs> there's a Messiah coming, and they were creating the landscape in the world system for the Messiah to appear. And then he, 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 he is born. He's born through an angel. An a, excuse me, not through an angel, but the angel gives the word of the Lord to a teenage girl, and that word carries within it the power to carry the Messiah. And then he lives his life. I, I want to see, personally, Holy Spirit, Netflix, the lost years of Jesus. Dude, like, what did his carpentry look like? Holy cow, like, it's got to be brilliant. Everything he did was perfect. Like, seriously. Like, Jesus, eat your broccoli. 
Yes, Mom. Jesus, it's time to go to bed. Yes, Mom. But then he stands up to begin his public ministry and he identifies himself with Isaiah 61. He aligns himself and then declares it out of his mouth. Even for me personally this week, there's something really personal the Lord dealt with me. And he just began to see, I need you to change your language in relation to this because there's negativity that is blocking some of the things that I want you to step into in this season. Almost every area of my life, when I look at it and I go, well, that needs shifting or we have the word of the Lord for this, I begin it with a word. And sometimes the word is so far beyond where I'm living, but I find over and over again, as I say it, there's something that faith begins to arise and you go, well, that's going to happen one day. It can't help but happen. Because he said you can have what you say. So here's God's desire. It's articulated in Numbers 11. Here's some foundational scripture for what I want to, I feel like the Father wants us to delve into. I love this. Numbers 11, 29. Numbers 11, 29. The story is Moses has led this nation. He's been called by God, obviously, to to be this leader, this liberator, liberator of the, the nation of Israel. Actually, if you study it, most people, a lot of people think that Moses was also the political leader. He was not. He actually set up a government. God actually set up exactly how he wanted this nation to function. But they were coming to him, and the, the people were coming, and they were saying, like, uh, they would come to him with different disputes all day long, and his father-in-law goes, hey, this is no good. They're wearing you out. You're a prophet, not a pastor. And so he goes to God about it, and he goes, okay, great. Gather the elders, and I'll put the spirit that's upon you, I'll put it upon them. What's fascinating is he didn't say, I'll take my spirit that's upon you and put it upon them. He said, I'll take the spirit that's upon you and put it upon them. I mean, I don't know what you do with some of these scriptures. So... The Holy, the, the Spirit descends, the guys in the camp prophesy, there's two outside the camp, and Joshua goes, they're not allowed to do that. They didn't get ordination correctly. And here's what Moses replies. Then Mo, Numbers eleven twenty nine. Then Moses said, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And I believe... It articulates a passion of God that every person, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but that every person would live this prophetic lifestyle of hearing and declaring as God intends. Joel 2 talks about it. We know that, un, well, let's just read Joel 2. Joel 2, we read it last night. And, after, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 15 through 19, this is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from brethren. 
Him you shall hear, according to all you have desired the Lord your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. See, I believe even under an old covenant, God wanted face-to-face -face encounter with the people of God. But there was, there was, this, there was this experience that they had. They, they see this pretty scary encounter, and they go, hey, you speak to God. We'll listen and hear what he has to say. One of the challenges in the Western culture, and I'm so thankful that God is shifting this, is that many people, even though they, they would, it would be an abhorrible concept to them to actually think that their belief in God or their expression of who God is in their life is received secondary, they wouldn't like to hear that, but the truth is, much of what they believe about God is what they hear on a regular basis from the community that they're in because most people haven't taken the time to develop their own personal intimacy, inner life with the Lord, scripturally, and all that stuff. That's why you end up with a lot of twisted understanding of who God is. And people will, you can't, here's the thing. When the storms of life come, you can't live off a catchphrase you heard in a sermon. Like God's in control. <laughs> How's that working out for you right now? Because it's got to be, it, there's nothing wrong with receiving. Obviously, we know, you know, Paul instructed the New Testament Corinthians, we know no one after the flesh. We are supposed to receive from each other. But how it's supposed to work is as I receive, it's out of what I'm experiencing God, at, at the, the community adds to the expression that I'm experiencing personally. Because when you stand before God, you can't go, they didn't tell me about that in my church. Or the committee voted it down. You know, like, that's not going to work when you stand before God. All the, all the different things that we, we kind of think are okay to say why we're not experiencing or stepping into certain in God, it doesn't register when we'll stand before Him. Because you'll stand before absolute truth and every part of you will be exposed. It's actually one of the motivations to me of apostolic Christianity. That we don't live for the moment that we're in, but we actually live for the only moment that will ever matter, and that's when we stand before Him. And the Lord says, what they have spoken is good. See, it's interesting. The Lord spoke this really interesting thing to me last night. I wasn't going to share it, but I think I should. I was thinking about this concept of God operating in the earth and trying to understand things and wisdom and understanding. And he told me, he said, I cannot violate the thought processes of the people of God in the earth. That means if we have a certain paradigm and a certain way that we relate to God, unless we shift that, we actually shut off the purposes of God for that season. And I find that even when something different, and I'm, and I'm not saying everything is God, you know, everything that's happening in the body of Christ is not God, but often what happens is if there's an expression that doesn't look like we've seen it, immediately our insecurities rise up and we find a reason why we shouldn't participate in that. 
I've learned to receive the strength of what God is trying to release through a movement. Going, I don't know if I jive with that, but that is really good, and I need to add that, and I need to learn something from that. And I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks, I will require it of him. So Moses actually gives a messianic prophecy of the coming Jesus. Moses is prophesying Jesus there. Because you find in Acts 3, we pick up, we pick up this sermon that has happened now after the lame man is healed. This is, we'll pick up part of Peter's sermon here. Acts 3, verse 19. Therefore, Acts 3, verse 19. Therefore, uh, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to your fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. In him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet, he's quoting what we just read. You'll find that in many of the transitions in the, in the life of the early church, they were actually aligning themselves with prophecy. The early church had a deep love for messianic prophecy and scripture. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Very positive message. Different sermon. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and all those who follow, as many as have been spoken, have foretold of these days. What are these days? The days we're living in. The last days. <laughs> God doesn't have time like we do. The last days have been going on for a while. He says, today you'll inherit. Today could be a thousand years with him. <laughs> and this is the phrase I want to pick up. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers Abraham, saying, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent to bless you in turning away every one of your iniquities. So Peter stands up and goes, Hey, you guys are the sons of the prophets. Now we know that the Gentiles, which probably every person in this room, it was always, the gospel was always to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Most of the early church was Jew. Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't a European. With blonde hair and blue eyes. We know that we are inheritors if we're in Jesus because... Uh, Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seeds according to the promise. So that phrase, sons of the prophets, applies to every New Testament believer. The phrase sons of the prophets is fascinating because biblically it means this. Yes, in the basic sense, it's a male child of a particular tent. But in the biblical usage, 
the term represents the first generation and it also indicates a group of people or a person displaying the qualities of. So tonight, that was my introduction. I don't know how long I'll go. But I want to, certainly not an exhaustive list, but I want to focus on what I believe are certain characteristics of the sons and daughters. When it says sons, it includes daughters. God was an equal opportunity person. Here are some characteristics of prophetic people. Now, before we talk about that, though, I want to say we know this. Just simple Bible understanding. Not everyone is a prophet. We know that, right? But every born-again believer is supposed to display characteristics of prophetic people. The job of a New Testament prophet, yeah, is to hear, to speak, to declare, but is to multiply the ability of the people of God to hear, to speak, and to declare. It's always multiplication. The job of a New Testament evangelist is not simply to win souls. It's to release a grace upon the people of God to be evangelists. Prophets are called from birth as Jeremiah was and have a special place in the heart of God because they hear and see and communicate the Father's intentions to an entire generation. Prophets have been called by the Holy Spirit to make intimacy with the Holy Spirit the highest obsession of their life. This results in unusual experiences, encounters with the Holy Spirit on a routine basis. Prophets are usually mocked and often rejected because they commu communicate heaven's truth to a people who are enslaved in the kingdom of this world. A religious spirit will often try and castrate a prophet because it hates the heart and the mind of the Lord being communicated to the people of God. Prophets open doors for the people of God to see from heaven's perspective and for people to have their own unique encounters with the Holy Spirit. That is so foundational. A leader's job is never to draw people to himself, is never to make people dependent upon their grace, never to go, well, you need to talk to me before you make any life decision. There's wisdom and counsel, but we are never to draw people to ourselves. There's that scripture. If you honor a prophet, you get an honor's reward, right? What does prophetic people do? They hear and they see at a certain frequency. When you honor that, you step into that ability and that gift that's been given to that person. I have, I have observed this. It's fascinating. I remember uh, at our annual conference, maybe five or six years ago, uh, uh, Randy Clark introduced uh, Lance Wall now. And Lance is always awesome. If you've never heard him, like, just, you know. <laughs> it's cool. I got to spend time with him a few years ago. It's so cool. Like, I'm like, you are like the smartest person ever. <laughs> but he, that night, he said, I want to introduce to you a marketplace apostle and prophet. And that night, it's always good, but it was like a whole nother level of revelation. And I'm driving back to where I'm staying that night, and the Lord speaks to me. He said, you know, part of the reason why it was so powerful is because he introduced them by the grace 
that I put on his life, and it opened the door for everyone to receive from that grace. I'm not certainly suggesting that leaders should ever be elevated to a place like we can't come close to them or everything. I just don't see that in Scripture. But the truth is, we're not all the same in God. See, there's that tension there, isn't there? I was in Brazil, and um, <laughs> one of my friends, she's on staff at this church, and she goes, one of the things I like about this church is that we're all the same. And I go, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I think I know what she was saying. But to believe that we're all the same would be to deny what God has intended for a community of people. Now I'll get kind of quiet and start saying things like that. It's like there is a reason sometimes that we're in a room and there's one person speaking and there's 3,000 people here. Why? Because that person represents something that we need to receive from. The goal is for us to receive that grace and add it to what we're doing in our life, if it's done correctly. But we must honor the gift that that person has become. I wasn't even planning on touching that. Prophets should be, spend many hours devouring scripture because it's the foundation for the communication they release to the body of Christ and the experiences they have. So important. Must, must love scripture as a prophetic people. Don't, don't do this weird thing, you know, this is what the Lord's saying, I just don't know if it's in scripture. Stop that. All hell will often come against those who function the prophetic office because of the foundational authority given to them. Prophets carry a foundational government authority to break through and establish the kingdom of God in local bodies, cities, and nations of the world. In the coming months and years, the Holy, as the Holy Spirit redefines the church today, God is going to give congregations and pastors and churches key prophets to declare the word of the Lord and release the grace so that we can all come into a prophetic spirit that Joel spoke of in Joel 2. Prophets will form close associations with pastors and apostles Whose, whose relationship is key to any healthy prophet. New prophetic mantles from heaven are being released to the people of God in this hour. And true prophets will be raised up who are unique in presentation in the message and they will turn the people of God back to the heart of God and passion for Jesus. And there's a grace in this season that as God raises up a prophetic people to step into and begin to navigate territory we've never had as a people of God. That should be good news. Here's one characteristic of prophetic people. Friendship with God is the foundation of life. You know, we all sometimes come to the cross, and yes, there is that surrender, but we all come with our different motivations, our different even selfish desires and ambitions. Me, not you. 
But eventually, as we begin to walk in that path, in that narrow path, that place that God has on us, he's, he's, really, he's really good at exposing those areas. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. But since then there has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I remember one time, I think it's this last year, I don't know, I just have it written here. The Lord said this to me. He said, it's one thing for man to give himself to God. It's an entirely different thing for me to give myself to a man. I'm not 100% sure everything that means. I, I don't know if you, you walk with the Lord, you still like, I'm still meditating on things he spoke to me like five years ago. I think I know what that means. I'm still working on, I really like you. You're my favorite son. Seriously. Don't you know what I really think about certain people? I know, I still love you. Fruitfulness obviously becomes a byproduct of intimacy. Learning to distinguish the Father's voice happens within the context of friendship. I love discovering the cadence of what it means to hear the voice of the Lord. It's like, when somebody is, you know, like, rock and roll. I love the phrases in the New Testament. It uses this phrase. It's like it puzzles many commentators. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. Literally, the word of the Lord, this is as God would speak to prophets, became actively present. It was a statement of direct personal awareness. I'd like to say something. Number two. Prophetic people have supernatural encounters with God. Yay, God. Ezekiel is this fascinating example. Ezekiel 3, 12 and 14. The Spirit of the Lord took me up. Ezekiel 8, verse 1 and 3. This is, this is very politically correct. He took me by the lock of mine in my head. Ezekiel 11, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me up. Ezekiel 37, verse 1 through 4. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit and set me down in. <laughs> Ezekiel 43, verse 5 and 6. So the Spirit took me up and brought me. Counterfeits do exist. You are never to will yourself into an experience. But there is an open door to experience life with God and to change us as we know it. I am still trying to understand the implications of July. I, I was uh, in New Jersey getting ready to minister. It was a Saturday afternoon and uh, been on this thing for like weeks so I've been stirred I was like 
Lord, there's more. There's more, especially there's more secrets, there's more understanding, there's more, I, there's more. Like, more. More. More, more, more. Sometimes you get, I was around some people and it just stirred some, they started telling me these stories about things and secrets and shifting of nature. And, and I just was like, Lord, if there's anything that has, you know, anything I've put my eyes on, anything I've meditated on, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you know, you're basically looking at yourself. Then Jesus, I had this vision of Jesus. Jesus comes into the room. He began to anoint my eyes, my ears, and my body as I was. And that night, it like opened up this whole realm of seeing that I've never seen before. And then like a day later, like two days later, I went to Moldova and was ministering in this tent, teaching at this school. And almost every time I'd look over, I'd see Jesus in the corner just smiling at me. And then we finished this, one of the last services, wild service, and... You know, sometimes you finish and you, you, you go, oh, was, that, was that everything you wanted me to do? And Jesus is on the right side giving me a thumbs up. He's really kind. Prophecy actually opens the door for you to enter into supernatural encounters. Since uh, 2005, I was um, I was at uh, Bethel Church in Reading. It was a leader's advance, and uh, actually wasn't very big at the time. And I'm in the back of this the church there, and in the West Coast, it's beautiful. You get taxed for breathing the air, but it's really nice there. That's a different sermon. But, so I went to In-N-Out Burger because God created that. And I got my hat to get your, I asked him for a hat, my paper hat. And I'm in the back of the church. And uh, a lady, prophetess lady, I was just with him. Her name is Judy Ross. Her and her husband, Pastor Cloud Nine Worship Center. They were weird before it was cool to be weird. the name of their church. I'm not making it up. And she looks at me. Prophetesses are particularly very interesting people. And she goes, Abner, I asked the Lord, why are you wearing an in and out hat? I'm going, who asked God that? <laughs> she goes, the Lord says you're going to go in and out, in and out. And she's always very demonstrative, you know, amazing prophetic painter. In and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Awesome. I received that. That's still a weird prophecy, but I take it. So a few months later, I'm praying with a friend of mine, and he grabs my hands and goes, The Lord told me that you're going to go to heaven on a regular basis. So I'm pursuing the Lord for years. Just keep pressing it. Yeah. So I'm there. My time with the Lord. I'm ready. 
How's this work? I'm a frequent filer with Delta, baby. Come on. So I'm in Brazil two years later. And I'm talking to these intercessors. We're flying to a different city. Intercessors and prophets, my God. And they're telling me these encounters that they have with the Lord. I'm like, man, I need that. I'm hungry for that. You're like me. Same blood died for you. I want, you know. I'm not one of those, well, well that's for you. And this, you know, I'm, I'm like, you got it? Like, I'm stepping right into that. Yeah, whatever. And I said, I want you to pray for me. But I don't think it's supposed to be now. I feel like something significant is going to happen, and I, I don't want to be laid out in the airport. So the next day, we're as a group. We're all worshiping God. Very tiny room, probably maybe half the size of this, and really strong presence. God is just in this room, and I'm thinking, you know, now would be a really good time for them to pray for me. So I laid on the floor, and they both came over to me and prayed for me. And she grabbed my head, and he was at my feet, and when she put her hand on my head, it felt like my head was exploding. She's like, I see a volcano exploding. You know, like, I feel a <laughs> volcano exploding. There's a prophetic significance to that, and that is this, that unknowingly in our Western culture is very intellectually based. And that unknowingly many times we have placed limitations on experiences that we can actually have in God. That's a side note. And when they prayed for me, it was like, like started flying out of my body. I'm going, I can see everything that happened. It's ha that happened one other time to me, but it was like I entered into something that day. And the Lord like took me on this journey like Peter Pan through just he could he was just showing me what was happening in the city and what happens with worship and I could see angels down there and all this awesome stuff. So I was like, this is amazing. This is awesome. And so, you know, I'm no dummy. They're like, we're gonna pray for the service tonight in this room. So I'm like, I'm going with you. So immediately we get we we got into this circle as we were praying for this meeting that night. And I go almost similarly back into the same experience and uh, similar experience. And I remember I start flying out of my body. I don't really have good language for it, but I'm flying out of my body. And I remember my mind goes, this is weird. Really? And as soon as I thought in my mind, this is weird. This is what I heard. I heard the Lord so clearly say this to me. He said to me, you can come in and out. Anytime you want. But if you fear, you can't come in. Another really interesting experience I had was um, I was uh, I was listening one time to Mike Bickle teach, and uh, he made this statement. And I always encourage you when you're listening to someone else teach or preach, look for statements that are made that just hit you because it's usually the word of the Lord for you. 
And he said, he said, some of you in this room, you're going to be, the Lord is just going to draw you to, to a certain general of the faith. And there's a reason that he's drawing you to this person. Because in their life, there's something hidden for you. And it just, I said, that's the word of the Lord. And I knew at least one of the people for me in my life was Oral Roberts. And I've tried to read just about everything I could. And I'm always just, met, like, just fascinated with his life. And what God did through his life. And a number of years, probably two or three years ago, I knew that Oral was... Uh, he, was at, he knew he was at the end of his life, and he was seeing different ministers from around the United States. And you had to be invited, and you could go in, and he would share a little bit, and then he would lay hands on you. Pretty good deal. So I began to ask the Lord for an open door. Like, Lord, I don't know, I don't know how I could get invited to this, but Lord, open the door, because I, I just want him to, I, I want to be part of that. I want, I, want, I want him to lay hands on me. And um, and so he he actually you know we know that he passed away and I was a little disappointed that I didn't get him to pray for me before he passed away and um, probably I think it was about three and a half years ago I was in this I went into this experience and in this experience the experience started and I was it was like I was in the middle of the country interesting because he was from Oklahoma there's this farmhouse I was outside this farmhouse in this encounter when I say this encounter I don't know how to describe it other than you're in this experience and it's usually like Daniel uh, the book of Daniel says it's like visions in your mind and the scene switches and suddenly I'm inside this farmhouse and it's like this table there there's two chairs there and there is all Roberts right in front of me And he's in front of me, and I couldn't, can't talk to him usually in these encounters, but he is, he grabs me and he, he lays hands on me and prays for me and says a few things that I won't mention. But it's really true, there is a great cloud of witnesses watching. I'm certainly not suggesting, again, that we call dead people up. I'm just saying it's possible for God to let you see what's on the other side. Prophetic people have supernatural encounters. Number three, prophetic people know that they're divinely called. You know, sometimes there are challenges that are placed in front of us, and obviously mine is a, a ministry assignment. Yours might be business during the week. It might be school teacher, it might be accountant, it might be cook or whatever that is. But every one of the characteristics that you see of prophets in the Bible is that they were divinely called. It says of Jeremiah, the, one of the famous verse, before I formed you, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nation. I want you to think about your life and think about eternity and that when the day you were born, whatever day that might have been, you know, 
you actually, the day you were born, you set into a, a motion an eternal purpose of God for your life that he intended to never end. That's how significant you are to God. And his ability through the sacrifice of his son to actually never remember all the mistakes you've ever made. It's just really that good in him. And one of the great things that I've come to know, it's like it, we all need affirmation. We all need somebody to go, man, you're doing a great job. It's, it's how we're wired. But if that doesn't come, or if everybody turns their back on you, if, or, or if, if something happens, or if this person betrays you, sometimes all you go back to is, I'm called. And you've called me. And you know me by name. And I'm chosen by you. And I choose to trust that call on my life today. Prophetic people know that they're divinely called. Don't ever, ever entertain that thought of giving up. Psalm 139, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made secret and wrongfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the days before me, as yet none of them, uh, as yet there were none of them. I love this. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He has a lot of thoughts towards you. You're too valuable to God to not recognize your call. Who am I? I'm the one who God called. It's another aspect of our divine call. Or as prophetic people that we have been given access to the secrets of the mysteries of the universe. You know, often in the body of Christ, we use Hebrews 11, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you read that, those people that are in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they're not people who did overtly spiritual things. They did things that were relevant to the marketplace. What does that mean? That means there are things and there are thoughts that God has towards you that would actually make you a participator and a co-laborer with him to make the world better. I love the story of, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of George Washington Carver, the peanut guy. Loved God. And he says that one day he asked God, Lord, tell me everything about the universe. God was like, I can't do that, but I'll tell you about peanuts. Uh-huh. 
and Carver revolutionized the world by his understanding. He created the Tuskegee Institute, which resulted in the creation of more than 300 products from peanuts, cooking oil, to paint, to peanut butter. Some of you say amen to that. Probably, in my opinion, one of his most important inventions was a synthetic material uh, used in Crayola crayons. He not only, a lot of people uh, credit Carver with his understanding of the peanut to saving the economy of the South. There are books, there is understanding that is hidden for you in the realm of mystery. Just like we're talking about songs, prophetic songs, the prophetic lifestyle is unlocking. It's not like he's going, oh, I don't want to show it to you. It's this drawing near and going, Lord, show me how to do life with you. I know mechanics, this mechanic specifically in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in demand because he can fix vehicles that no one else knows how to fix. How does he do it? gets it through words of knowledge. There's a, a man on my board spent most of his life as a blue-collar man, and he built fences, and he was going through a really difficult time, and his marriage was, everything was just teetering, and just felt like his wife was falling apart, and it was. And an angel of the Lord visits him in his living room and says, I'm coming to you today. I'm going to tell you that your marriage is not going to fall apart, and it didn't, praise God. And I'm going to teach you how to do real estate. And I'm going to make you the top seller in this region. And when you do, they will ask you to tell us how you've done this, and you will give glory to me, and it all happen. Prophetic people... I always remember what the Lord spoke this to me. And I'm still trying to unpack the implications of this in my own life. He said, we must go, the Holy Spirit said, I don't know how many years ago, we must go from marketing Jesus to presenting him. What did, what did Jesus do when he, when he began this, this, this thing that he wanted to do to change the world? He didn't just go, I'm here, I'm the Messiah. He went to fishermen who couldn't, who didn't have any fish. One word changes everything. No fish, need fish. Let me tell you how to get fish. That's why it's so important, so important that we live. That's why God emphasizes over and over and over again this thing of identity because. It, we know it's this evolving thing that we'll learn in eternity, but once we live from that place of knowing love, we actually want to love people. Yeah? It's like the more I understand how much he likes me, I actually have much more compassion for other people. So going, he likes them too. And if he likes them, then I have something to tell them that can help them. 
prophetic people have access to mysteries in God. And the mysteries actually look like something. I, I, I have this thing now. It's like I'm so thankful because so many people will pray and, and, and release words to me. It's like, all right, you can't just release the word to me. You got to go ask God what that means. It's not enough to have a word. We must have understanding on how to develop that word. And it doesn't mean we have it all figured out. No, no one has it all figured out. We're in this room tonight because we're a bunch of people who are trying to figure it out with God. We've been given access to mysteries. Here's another part of prophetic people. They understand their intermediary role. God has given us the privilege of not just being bystanders in this world. That was a good place to say amen. Thank you for that one amen. It is our job to be the face of God to the rest of the world. I remember when this, this is something the Lord really began to emphasize to me. It was in uh, Brazil, and I ministered this church I've ministered many times, excuse me, on a Sunday morning. And um, so I ministered, really, it's always wonderful to be there, real privilege. And God was moving, and they were having an evening service, and I said, you know, I'll pray for everyone tonight. It'll be good, you know, amen. So apparently praying for everyone got translated into, I'll give everyone a prophecy. And... So a lot of people showed up. And it took, I don't know, three, four hours, three and a half hours, something like that. And I remember they weren't recording that night, but I remember Minisha's young lady, I always see her. And I remember praying for her. And I remember when I finished praying for her, she wrote down everything that I told her. And I remember thinking, we stand not just prophets, but we're supposed to be a people who stand between God and man to be the voice of God to humanity. I love the story of Joseph because Joseph stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't tell the psychics and magicians and all these people. He doesn't tell them his dream. He's like, tell me the dream. And he gets mad because they can't do it. Then, it. then they remember Joseph. Joseph steps before Pharaoh and he goes, you know, only God interprets dreams. Only God interprets dreams. And then he starts speaking. I don't know if you caught it there. Only God interprets dreams. Now I'm about to speak. What happened? He became the voice of God to a man who had some issues. Exodus 7. So the Lord God said to Moses, See, I have made you as a God to Pharaoh. Read the commentaries on that one. 
they're real confused. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet, and you shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. Now this is fascinating. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Read the plagues. That's your homework for this week. Read the plagues. It's so fascinating. You know, Pharaoh's like, all right, I'm going to let you go. And then he doesn't. Then the plagues come. And he's like, stop! <laughs> no, this is not good. So he brings, it's fascinating. He does. He looks at him as this intermediary between God. He knows if he speaks to Moses, he'll get things to stop. And he goes, hey, the God that you serve, tell him to stop this. Okay. And Moses would go, okay, when I leave, I'm going to pray and it's going to stop. And finally, we know the last plague. One of the things I can surmise is because in his culture, Pharaoh was looked upon as a god, right? And the only thing that he could actually use to adequately describe is that he was defeated by another god. A man became like a god to another man. For prophetic people, we have an intermediary role between God and man. Every person in this room, you have a sphere of influence that the Father has placed you in. Every person has a privilege, and that's another characteristic of prophetic people. Another characteristic of prophetic people is they learn the multifaceted ways which God speaks. I don't know how many different ways I can find in Scripture that God speaks. Never fall in love with just hearing God's voice one way. And if you, you, you think you're hearing something and, and, it, and it doesn't line up or you didn't think it turned around, don't draw away from the Father speaking to you in that way. Because we'll cut ourselves off between the beauty of how God wants to speak to us. Here's some ways. I'll move really quickly through this. Different ways that God speaks. Visions and dreams. Acts 2, 17 and 18. There's two types of visions. There's one in the mind that's often what I have. There's dreams. There's open visions. What's fascinating is if you read scripture, especially the account of Solomon, Solomon encounters God in a dream and God took whatever Solomon said in that dream. Why? Because God never sleeps. Dreams. Not all dreams are from God, we can say that. The still small voice. Often the still small voice actually sounds like your own voice because it's the Spirit of God bearing witness through your spirit. The Spirit of man, I love Proverbs. I've fallen in love with Proverbs recently. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts. That's a good, faith teachers love that one. I heard that one taught for years. Charles Capps, like, the spirit of man, the candle of the Lord. Anyway. Dreams. Angels. The Bible records 104 appearances of angels to humankind. Trances. Maria Woodworth Edder's ministry was often marked by trances. She would be in the middle of preaching, go, oh. <laughs> 
I've never been in a trance, but, and they said that people sometimes 100 miles away who totally hated God were walking in the other direction, suddenly would go in a trance and experience Jesus. You find a trance, Acts 9, excuse me, Acts 10, verse 9 through 11. Creation. God speaks through creation. I remember one time, probably six, seven years ago, I was riding along the road to minister somewhere, and I saw this beautiful rainbow. And I knew it was God speaking. Scripture, obviously. Tongues. I've seen and, I, and I've heard stories where someone will go into a particular tongue and as they're going into a particular tongue, it's actually setting somebody free in the same meeting. Impressions, prophetic acts. Talked a little bit about that last night. Remember the first time I did this mass prophetic act with this group, it was actually the Spanish church in Brownsville. I go, the Holy Spirit is saying that you're stepping into a new place today. I said, grab hands, and as they grabbed hands and they took forward, it was like, like 100 people just go down under the power. It was my Benny Hinn moment. So awesome. I didn't have my white suit, but I was pretty happy. Often when I'll minister prophetically over an individual, I'll actually see and I'll tell them to do certain things because it's a prophetic act of what you can see happening in the Spirit. Signs and wonders. Mind reading. Do you know mind reading belongs to the people of God? Have you ever noticed that Jesus answered questions that nobody was asking? He was reading their mind. Jesus knew their thoughts, uh, Luke 11, and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined in a high house divided against itself will not stand. Circumstances, I, I don't have time to get into all that, but often God does speak through circumstance. The arts, the arts is, is something that the Father is really trying to recapture. Dance and things, it belongs to the people of God. Never was supposed to be hijacked by by secular, humanistic people. We should have the most cutting-edge arts and demonstration, not just in the body of Christ, but actually expressing it out in venues out there. I remember one time I saw this, uh, one time the Lord uh, saw this girl, we were, we were in this time of worship, and she was just dancing, and as she was dancing, I saw an angel Lord next to her mimicking the very same things unlocking things through other people. Here's, here's the last point I want to make tonight. As prophetic people, we can never assume that we know what God is doing in a moment. Never assume that we know what God is doing. We must always lean into the Lord and go, Lord, what are you doing right now? What would you like to do? 
this is what we normally do in this moment, but is this what you would like to do right now? Not just corporately, but as a people. Lord, this is what we've always done, but tell us how to do this differently. One of the things uh, often uh, we have time of the month where we cut checks and we have missionaries we support, and it's a real joy to just see the Father being able to expand that year after year and being able to give on a monthly basis with people we partner with. And there's a certain amount that we've prayed about at the beginning of the year that we like to give. But I always say to the Lord, Lord, do they need more this month? Do they need less this, you know? We're open to what you want to speak. And I found that it's like this dual relationship that when he stretches your thinking or he stretches your understanding in a particular area, that it's always a dual benefit. You know, sometimes, you know, no, we need to double that this month. Or, and they'll go, you know, you know, they'll send me an email a month later. You know, we really needed that at that moment. Thank you so much. But you know what happened? It, it was this, that's how life in the kingdom works. It's this dual transaction thing because they receive and, and you're, I remember one time one of my prophetic friends, he was working with this pastor and he went to his house and he saw some things out of place and the Lord speaks to him and he says to him, he says to him, he's done everything he's supposed to do. There's people around him that haven't responded. No shame, no blame, no guilt. But we're actually responsible for helping other people come into their destiny. That's what prophetic people do. But not only do they receive monetarily, but we grow in trusting God. We grow in going, wow, we didn't think we could do that, and suddenly we did that. I love the life of David because over and over again it says this, therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up and attack these Philistines? The Lord said, to David, go and attack the Philistines. Again, these are different scriptures. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up and attack? He already attacked them. He beat them. He asked again, though, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said, go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, fail to recover them. Then it happened that after this, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? It's a relationship. Sometimes I'm going, What? What does that mean? Show me. I'll do it. What are we supposed to do? You know what I've, I've tried to do? Certainly not saying I've arrived. But I've tried to even, as you inquire of the Lord, just do what He says, even if it doesn't make any sense in your mind. Like, I, I, honestly, sometimes I'm like driving to the airport, and He'll go, don't park in the usual lot you park in. Park on the other side today. I know, that's... I don't like going over there. It's orange. 
do it. I've learned you're a whole lot smarter than me. No shame, no blame when we miss it or we don't obey, but it's like, I even, I believe this. I believe there's times that the Lord will just ask us to do, do something just to see if we'll do it. Really. Now there was a famine in the days of, in, in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord saying, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. David inquired of the Lord. We in this room have a great privilege before God. And uh, we only have one life to live. And we only have one moment to impact eternity. Really, it's true. I mean, I woke up like a month ago and I go, man, it's almost 2014. And it, it is okay to enjoy your life. Don't want you to leave here thinking not that. But we have the opportunity to be a people that can shift. As a community of people, I love the Great Commission. That's what we call that story. always encourages me because it gives this commission to disciple nations. And it's 11 guys who aren't even sure it's the resurrected Jesus. And then he goes, I'll be there. And so as a group of people, we're on this journey to do what the Father's called us to do. And I believe tonight that um, there's an open door of encounter for us in this room. And um, the Lord has just been stirring this message in me about a prophetic people. And um, I haven't included that part about supernatural encounters till tonight because I really felt as I was just waiting on the Lord today that as he spoke last night, there's a door of encounter. There's a door to experience him. And I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray for every person who wants to receive prayer tonight that we would just step, that there would be a grace release for us to just step into an, a, a, a place of deeper encounter. And that this entire room would just be this place of encounter with the Lord. Amen? Did you receive this word tonight? If you do, I just want you to lift your hands. I want to declare some things over you. Is it possible 